Hello, everyone. How's it going tonight? Hello, Sailor. Hello, Ed. Hello, Sailor. Hello, Matt hey, and Ed. <laughs> I feel like hello. this is hello. like, hello, Matt's doctor. Too. doctor. Look at that. Hello, doctor. <laughs> wasn't, that a, wasn't that a Seinfeld skit? Probably. Doctor, I think doctor, that was, was not an airplane. I don't. Oh, yeah. Airplane it was in the movie. Doctor. Doctor. Yes, doctor. doctor. Yeah. Yes, you're absolutely right. And then there's also the Mike Mickey Mike. Remember that one? Oh, I don't remember Mike Tyson, that Mickey Mouse, and Michael Jackson in an elevator. Mike, I've Mickey, never Mike, heard that. Oh, it's I probably think, off color now, but I, I think Airplane is one of the funniest movies ever made. I'm oh, just yeah. going to say far. that right now, by Second. far. By far, yes, totally yep. agree. Totally. Yeah, uh, yep. there's so many like cult, cultural, I don't know, like jokes that have, that have withstood the test of time come from Airplane, and you forget. Like I just forgot. I was like, is that Seinfeld? Yeah. My favorite line from that movie, Leslie Nielsen says, "We have to get these patients to a hot, or we have to get these people to a hospital." And there's the one guy says, "What's that?" And he says, "It's a large building with patients." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Surely you're kidding. I'm not kidding. Stop calling sure, me. Surely, surely. Oh, so <laughs> that's good. the most so famous. Good. Yeah, I sometimes get that one and Police Academy mixed up a little bit, like some of the quotes from it. Because remember when I don't know why I became. Remember the thread of the old lady, or was it the old man? I think it was an old lady. She thought she was going to a doctor's office, but they were putting her on, like, she was getting a tune-up as a car. Do you remember that? (laughs) That must have been a police academy. It does, exactly. But there's, anyway, we're going to go off on this (laughs) tangent. Let's stop here. Bring it back in. Reel it back in. Yes, Let's talk about some updates, which, first of all, uh last week we decided to run a little bit of a we decided to run a rerun excellent use of grammar sailor Um, but we did we ran a rerun and uh we did that because we wanted to include Soundgarden in the series that we've been doing on 90s alt rock we've decided to kind of approach our episodes as series now because we've we of course everything in music is interconnected when you're kind of staying in a a wheelhouse of 20 to 30 years. Um, And I just feel like we're having more fun with it this way. Hopefully you guys listening are having more fun with it. So we wanted to add Soundgarden to this discussion. And tonight we are going to do something a little bit different. I'm not going to talk about that yet. But before that, in my hand, I am holding something super exciting, something that we have wanted to have in our possession for almost two years now. Wouldn't you agree, gentlemen? I would Um, agree. Yep. I have our metal rock and whiskey Glencairn glasses. Oh, yeah. Um, So they, there are many of you that ordered yours and they will be shipping out tomorrow. I will get them shipped out as quickly as I possibly can with my two little hands by myself. Um, we are so blessed to have friends like, um, Ben from barrel raised to help us out with this. He did a wonderful job, um, taking our logo and putting it on the glassware. They got to me in perfect condition. Um, I've already rubbed them, scratched them, done everything I could possibly think of. And they're, they're excellent quality. So, I am so excited to have these. So uh, those of you who have ordered them, they will be on their way very soon. Um, and those of you who have not, we have a few left from our first run. Um, I will p- be posting new prices. So if you want to order one, please get in touch with us. 
Um, something else that is really important for me to mention tonight, I wanted to give a shout out to one of our whiskey brothers. Um, if you are, um, friends with us on Instagram, you know that we have a very tight community on Instagram, us whiskey lovers, and we, um, feel like we are friends. If we have not met in real life, we feel like we have. And, and, um, I found an update about whiskey doctor. And um, Lee, he uh, has had some serious um, health issues recently and was hospitalized. And his fiance posted to let us all know um, why he had been absent for a while on Instagram. So um, wanted to give a shout out to the whiskey doctor. Um, we love you. We hope that you are on the mend quickly. And we can't wait to see you posting again and um, continuing with all the fun stuff that you do. So, uh Good thoughts and healing vibes to the whiskey doctor. Yes, yes. pouring pour one out for him tonight. Definitely. Absolutely, absolutely. Because he probably hasn't had whiskey in a while. Yes, I was just there. <laughs> oh, I'm sure for two months straight, <laughs> and I was there a few years ago for almost two years. I couldn't drink. Lots of doctor, no whiskey. <sighs> yeah, that. But uh, if you ever want to, you know, unfortunately, when things like this happen, it shows the true nature of this whiskey community that we're all a part of. Absolutely. Um, and it's uh, it's comforting and it's um, all encompassing. And it's just a great thing how uh, everyone's reached out and done their part. And there is a GoFundMe set up, as you yep. know, if you are an American citizen being sick. Um, is very costly. Sometimes it's almost impossible to pay to stay alive. I can attest to that. I am a cancer survivor and battled my own very serious health issues, unfortunately, a few times. And um, it can literally ruin you financially, uh, which is added stress and does not help when you are trying to fight for your life. So there is a GoFundMe. We will post the link to that in the show notes. And we will also post that in our Facebook group and on Instagram. So even if you have a dollar, um, I, I know that he has several thousand followers. If you even, if everybody just sent a dollar and there's 10,000 of us, how amazing would that be? I know that for me, it would have been an incredible help um, to chunk away at some of those bills. So, all right. Well, good yeah. vibes to the whiskey doctor. Yeah. Yes. So tonight we've been on the subject of nineties grunge metal bands. We've talked about the best. Tonight we talk about the rest. Some of the rest, should we say? Some of the rest. Mm -hmm. Well, and though, you know, best is obviously, you know, subjective. subjective yes. Too. Yes. I thought we I thought I think maybe we should say the most popular, the most well known, maybe. That's that's a fair statement. Yeah. Some of the most well known, most popular, um, most and successful I, bands. I think too, we chose bands that we feel get labeled grunge and aren't grunge. And we like to say nineties alt rock, alternative rock. Yeah, I much prefer that um yeah. Yeah. that genre. Because I think Fine. there might be some bands we talk about tonight that might fit that label of grunge better sure. than the bands we've talked about so far. Absolutely. Yes. And I know that so for the listeners, I put together the list of the bands we're going to discuss tonight. The guys didn't know until I had pulled it all together. So they have bands that they feel were left out. 
um, and also, I think, bands that they feel shouldn't be included. So instead of a battle of bands or out, al- well, instead of a battle of albums, we're going to do perhaps a little bit of a battle of bands. Um, it's, it's such a broad genre. It's super difficult to pinpoint. And we, we want to try to keep these new series to only a month or maybe five weeks or something like that. I think this one will probably land at six weeks, maybe, I think, right? Before we move yeah, on to our next series. five or six, yeah. Five or yep. six, yeah. So, um, so I'm interested to see you guys who you feel should have been included and who you feel sh- didn't deserve a place in this discussion tonight. So that'll be fun to battle, God damn it. <laughs> yes, it will. <laughs> As she I, said I, with great fervor. <laughs> I got feedback that I haven't been cursing enough lately. <laughs> well, fucking A, let's pick it up. <laughs> You know what? I think people are so used to it that they just don't don't hear it anymore. You know what? I went back. You know how I am. If I get feedback, I immediately start listening <laughs> to the show because I, I if I if if I did something wrong or didn't, you know, I'll admit it, of course. And I'm like, oh, my God. You know why? Because I've been trying to not curse. I'm pretty good for a girl. Uh, mm. You're getting too sponsor friendly here. No, oh. it's not about the sponsors. It's about some of our guests. Some of our guests, their audiences, they wouldn't be able to play it for their audiences. And so I'm trying this to be um, kind and understanding about that and, you know, want their audiences to be able to hear it too. Well, I would say that when we have a guest on MRW, we also kind of clean it up a little bit. I don't think it's I don't. just... No? Ed's the one that edits. He can tell you. <laughs> He even had to edit me out of, like, when I say I've tried to not curse, I'm pretty good for a girl. It's a tried, being the opposite word. It was a good attempt. You you, you couple slipped in there. There's only a couple. I'm sorry, you're going to have to edit those out. I dropped an F-bomb. And I think our guest five-year-old kid was in the room. Sorry. (laughs) It would be interesting, someone who's like a real hardcore fan of the show, and we hope we have a lot of those out there listening right now, to go back and count how many F-bombs we've each dropped since the beginning of the show and see who's winning. That'd be fun. Well, it's that not would... me. I can tell you that. <laughs> no, it's definitely not. Matt, I'm pretty sure it would be me. It's you. Yeah. Yeah. It's me. I, they, yeah, I don't I'm think probably, there's any I'm probably a distant second. Yeah. It, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. So, all right. Before we move on to the discussion that I thought was going to be super friendly and we were just going to tie everything up with a nice bow, but now it's going to be a fucking battle, whatever. Let's talk about what we're drinking tonight. I stole your segment, Matt. That's okay. (laughs) You have the right to steal anything you want on this show. (laughs) But do I? It's fine. Yes, you do. So let's talk about... (laughs) So let's talk about what we're all drinking tonight. I already said that. I know. I took it back from you. I stole it back. Ed. Me? You. <laughs> that is my name. Yes. So tonight, I have been drinking. Um, I think the last You've episode. Been drinking. I was keyword on... ha- he has been drinking. That's the <laughs> yes. keyword. Yes. <laughs> the last episode I was on, I believe I needed to kind of cut back for logistical reasons. And um, I was drinking Rocky's ginger ale. Well, I am back to Rocky's ginger ale, but. Ah. 
<laughs> but I have added some whiskey acres bourbon. Speaking of, we were talking earlier about craft distilleries. Yeah. Um, so speaking of craft distilleries, this is a bourbon. It's I'm going to see if I can remember the mash bill. I think it was 75% corn, 15% wheat, and 10% malted rye. Or, I'm sorry, malted barley, barley. I believe. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, shout out to Whiskey Acres. And oh, yeah. it's has, this is a great cocktail bourbon. Um, and also they do a vodka. I know. Um, it's a very unique vodka, but this is their, gosh, their spirits are just great for cocktails. They got such a unique flavor that they just stand out in whatever you put them in. Um, so yeah, so I like to, to usually mix them with something, um, as well as drink them neat, of course, but yeah, just really good stuff. Nice. We definitely love our craft spirits. Mm -hmm. How about you guys? Well, Tuesdays and Wednesdays now are my new weekend. I started a new job, and now Tuesdays and Wednesdays, like I said, are my new weekend. So I'm doing most of my drinking on those days. Today is Wednesday. And uh, I've been drinking mostly Islay single malts for the last uh-huh. several several hours. Yes. You like it to uh, peat? I like it to peat. I like it to smoke. Gross. Yes. <laughs> It's not gross. You just haven't found one you like a lot. That's all. No, I'm never going to like that shit. Pete Week. You like that? Okay. Totally different, though. I mean, if you want to discuss that, that's going to be a whole other show. Okay. Why Pete Week does not taste anything like an Isla whiskey. Got a point there. Okay. But you know what? I, yeah. I've never had a really heavily peated scotch before. I'm curious to know if I'd like it or not. I am too because your palate is fucking weird. And I have a feeling <laughs> I have a feeling that you might like it actually. I might. Based on know. the you pull out very weird notes when you taste bourbon. Bourbon in specific. I rarely hear you talk about like caramel and you know, popcorn and butter and cotton candy and you go for the strange things. Charcoal toothpaste. Yeah. <laughs> mint. And he says mint a lot mint. too. Yeah. Mint. Yeah. Mint toothpaste though, he says. Or what's so, the other what's the other Pith. Pith. Yes. Orange pith. pith. Orange, Orange pith. pith. Yeah. No. Um, uh, yeah. But the fun thing to do is this. It's scary as shit, but it's fun. Take an Isla peated whiskey and take a Highland peated whiskey and blind taste them hmm. if you think peated whiskeys are all the same oh hell no i no. i mean i've had to take so many whiskey classes where i had to cringe through the scotch portion because usually they focus solely on i don't know why they do this um because it's very unapproachable solely on heavily peated whiskeys and so i was always like i don't like scotch until I was introduced to Highland whiskey that is not peated. Great introduction. Great way to start drinking scotch. And then Pete Week from the Balvenie is, I think you guys all know, is my favorite, one of my favorite scotches in the world. And it, I would never imagined I would ever in my life like a peated whiskey. But it's so soft and subtle because the problem for me is I have a very acute sense of smell 
and taste. Mm -hmm. So anything can overwhelm me. If a whiskey has too much of any, it absolutely overwhelms me. So I think that's one of the reasons I have such a difficult time with Isla whiskey. It's one of the reasons that I have a very difficult time with certain super high proof, like a Booker's. Um, I got to chill that stuff out and I've got to almost drink it in a fucking bowl so that it can aerate enough to be, for me to be able to really kind of come together with those flavors. Yeah. And I'm blessing and a curse. And I'm, I'm, and what sailor says is hundred percent correct. I was just teasing her about the peat, but Highland (laughs) peat, Highland, Highland peat and Island peat are very, very different. So different. Very different. Very different. Uh, but I am drinking, um, Ardbeg, uh, Oogadal. Always have trouble saying that, but it's more that Smurf whiskey. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Can't remember what you were drinking last year. It's it's the same one. It's the same bottle. (laughs) Yes. I'm consistent. But, uh, and I will reiterate what I said about it then is that it is, it's, it's big, it's smoky, it's meaty. And what I say by meaty is that like, there's actually like beef jerky bacon notes on it. It's so good. Yeah. Like smoked bacon. Yeah. Um, So I think what I I think what I said when I first had it on the show was it was like eating a bacon sandwich in a peat bog next to a campfire. Oh, dude, I got to try this. Okay, here's what you might get, Ed. However, this is what you might get. Yes, you might get the smell of burnt grease (laughs) with the taste of a pine air freshener. A little bit of lemon pledge got up your nose, specifically lemon pledge, the, the, the wood finishing shit. Yeah. And then a very wet, musty sock that sat out overnight <laughs> when the morning dew hit it after a campfire had been doused. Bullshit. Though, <laughs> hey, I like Matt's on. description better. I'm not saying that he's not going to get yours. What I'm yeah. saying is that's the alternative. So you're either going to get Matt's description, and if you do, you're going to be like, fuck yeah, but you might get what I taste and smell, and you might be like, this sucks. And I'll come back, and it'll be like, tastes like molasses with the... Uh... Here, go <laughs> and buy that? the 10... Go and buy the 10-year Ardbeg. It's like $45, so it's not a huge investment. And then that could be a good bridge for you, hopefully, into something more grandiose. Okay, or better yet, I'll hit up the local whiskey bar. There you go. Yeah, and ask for our big 10. That's what I always tell people. Thank you, Ed. That's what I always tell people to do. Don't buy a fuck. Okay, see, Matt is in the retail business. I'm behind the bar. No, no, this is such a great example. <laughs> no, it is. Yeah, like, I'm like, buy a bottle. Buy and the like, inexpensive bottle to start off. And I'm like, no, no, no. Go just buy one dram of it and make sure you like it. Which, there's right and wrong to both. Because I think we've discussed several times when you taste whiskey you can't sometimes just taste it once your environment is going to play a huge part of it what you just ate is going to play or if you're eating by the way we're getting a huge thunderstorm right now just in case the listeners hear some crazy weird (laughs) noises i'm looking out the window all hell is about to break loose anyway (laughs) um so there might be something to that matt uh if only you could buy half bottles if only we had that in this country where you could say, I'll take a couple of drams so I can really take my first dram, let it rest the next day, go back to it again and see if the different, you know, times and atmospheres make a difference. Yeah, about the best you can do here is a 375 milliliter. 
yeah. which I do have a 375 of the uh, the campfire whiskey. Oh, High West? From High West. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in New England, we call them nips. And most people but call those them... are just like the airplane bottles, right? Yeah, those. Are... Well, that's you can get two. You can get two to three tasting drams out of a nip, out of an airplane. Okay. Yeah. So, but it's super expensive to do it that way. So I will say that in my, at my new job now, uh, whose name I can't say yet, yet, yep. yet, um, <laughs> that I do have the opportunity to pour a lot of samples for customers. So I will say that it has it has given me the opportunity to do blind tastings with customers. Um, so I mean, that's can you ask that at any of those stores that you work at? What's that? Can you ask? So the the store that you work at is a national chain. Yes. That we're not mentioning right now. Yes. Can you ask for samples at any of those chains, or is that just specific? I don't know because I know at my I, I know. <laughs> They have a lot of open bottles already, so mm. I have a lot to choose from. Yes. I'll just say that. I've always been like, my dream liquor store would be one where there was a tasting bar where before you buy the bottle, you can freaking taste it. We Not have, only taste it, have but... have a tasting bar. Yes, we right, do. Right, but have a yeah. person there that could educate you on it. Well, that's it's me. like going into... Uh, okay, trust me, I have teenage daughters. <laughs> going into an altar or something where they all be these testers of all these different perfumes yeah, and exactly. makeup things and but all exactly. that. Exactly. You would never okay, as a woman, I would never dream to buy a perfume without smelling it first. Yeah. But how the fuck? Same with cologne. Like how could you ever buy it without smelling it? What you're gonna trust that it says it smells like a man who slept with thirty women the past <laughs> two months and Wears leather shoes and has walked on the beach twice this week and has a glimmer of Irish in his eyes. That's awfully specific. <laughs> Have you read some of the perfume descriptions? No, I haven't. They're kind of that dumb. And cologne ones. Have you seen the Bells of elderberries. So, okay, it's the same for spirits. What the fuck? You should be able to smell it. And have a little dram before you. It's like, okay, you go to a bar and there's a yeah. beer on tap. Have you yeah, ever you been said no? I exactly. Yeah, they always give me a sample. Yeah. I always say, "Can I have a splash, please?" I'm not familiar with it. May I please have a splash? This That's is fine. a law we must change. I'm going to champion this. I'm in favor. I'm in favor. We'll forget it all about it tomorrow. <laughs> well, hey, distilleries have tasting bars for a reason, right? Yeah, of course. There you go. All right. So. uh... Where where were we? What are you drinking? Oh, uh, yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we haven't gotten to you yet. So I am drinking a highball right now. I'm actually drinking a black highball. I call them. Um, okay. I'm drinking some high proof Elijah Craig. It's a barrel pick. Ooh, from that's one I haven't been able to find yet. Mm -hmm. I am so jealous. So is that a lazy cocktail or a not lazy cocktail? This is definitely a lazy cocktail. <laughs> And they call Austin special. It's in a mason jar. <laughs> so Kayla hey, and I. Hey, hey. Yeah. And we got two lazy cocktails here. Yeah. Two lazy cocktails in mason jars. What brand is mine's a care, actually. It's not a mason. No, mine's a ball mason. Mine's okay. legit. Yeah, mine I don't I think I, I end up 
I take Ma- oh no, it is. It's this is still a Mason brand. It's still Mason. Okay. Yeah, mine too. I think they bought all of them. But you should have your you should have your highball on a ball mason jar. Would have been better. Well, I should have it in an actual highball glass, but well, whatever. All right, all right, all right. Anyway, I'm drinking um a beautiful uh, store pick Elijah Craig, and I've added a little bit of Amaro Nonino and Chinar to it with some uh, soda water and some lemon juice, and boom, that's a black highball to me. You know, Amaro Nonino is so freaking good. Amaro Nonino is the nectar of the gods. It is. It is the most diabolical shit ever made. (laughs) It's so good. I like to add Chinar, though, to give it a little bit of a, like a minerally base, you know, because it's made from artichoke. Yeah. Primarily. So I'll always put a little in there just to like, unless I want it to be a little bit sweeter. Mm -hmm. I'm a bitter profile, so I can read some bitters as sweet to me because I don't like yeah. sweet. Um, so I'm, I'm a definitely a savory girl. I'm an umami girl. I like salt. I like butter, you know. Um, so I find it a, a really good balance. Those are the two I always, always have in my house is Chinar and Nonino. Um, if I don't have many others, those are the two I'll always get. Like if I'm on mm-hmm. a budget, it's like these two pups and I'm good to go. So that's mm-hmm. what I'm and as I was putting together my drink for the night, I was thinking about all of the pairings that we've done um, in this series. And I thought it would be fun, instead of doing a specific pairing for tonight, because how the fuck are you going to pair one whiskey with everything we're going to talk about tonight? Can't. I mean, I think I did a pretty good job on our David Bowie episode. Um. It was, he's, he's like 18,000 bands and one guy, you know, yeah, <laughs> like, well, right. okay, if we're going to pair a whiskey with David Bowie, which David Bowie, right? So mm-hmm. that's why I, that's why I did what I did in the, in the whiskey pairing. Similar thing here. So Matt, you did first, you chose the dry fly wheat whiskey. Yes. I did the Yamazaki and the George T. Stag. Who did the wild turkey rye? That was me as well. That was you too. Okay, that's that's yeah. so. You did two and I did two. Um, so as I was like kind of typing this up and I was looking back at our notes and um, kind of thinking about it, I find it very interesting if you look at those four together and you think about the '90s, and <laughs> depending on who you were in the '90s, what you were listening to, right? Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like the genres are so much more muddled right now. You know, it used to be, you're a raver kid. You're a metalhead. You're a rocker. You're a hip-hop. You, like, you know what I mean? In a way, you're yeah. kind of defined by what you listen to. Um, that's very much reflected in our four whiskey choices for 90s alt-rock. It's like something for everyone. And I don't it really, really think... It really we, is. Yeah. yeah, we didn't intend to do it that way. Yeah. So we've got a wheat whiskey... We've got a Japanese whiskey, we've got a bourbon, and we've got a rye. Wow. One is one whiskey is a craft from the Northwest. It's actually from Washington State. The Yamazaki is a phenomenal Japanese whiskey. George T. Stagg is a very, I would say, an older, traditional style of bourbon. 
And your wild turkey rye is a classic rye that would come out of Kentucky. So indicative of all of the flavors of 90s alt rock. Wouldn't you agree? I agree. And I, I think that that just lends to perspective. We, yep. It lends to what we've talked about is that all of these all these bands are grouped together. They shouldn't be grouped together. It's exactly. really different. There you it's go. true. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Like that's all whiskey, you know? So yeah. I, I mean, and those who are not big whiskey drinkers might not understand, but you have, you know, whiskeys from the Pacific Northwest taste very different than whiskeys from other parts of the country. A Japanese whiskey has, I mean, the Yamazaki taste related won't taste whether you like it or not. You can taste the two things side by side and go, these aren't the same spirit even. How could you call them both whiskey? That's the beauty of whiskey. Yeah. All four of these expressions, could taste. they do taste completely different from each other. Yet they are all whiskey. Yeah. I love that. Comes love down it. to the, what is it, the terroir? I know they use, the they use that term a lot in wine, but it applies to whiskey as well. Oh, it absolutely applies to whiskey. Um, yes. We've discussed this many times on actually a lot of the different shows on the network, and Kayla and I also discussed this. Um, I'm going to be hosting a class on American Whiskey, The Journey Through History, and it is all about terroir, all of it. So, and I, for me, the origin of whiskey in America comes from apple brandy, actually. So I always start with apple brandy. Yes, and there are naysayers out there that say it doesn't matter. Go fuck yourself. Oh, go fuck yourself indeed. <laughs> no, it's Any true. Any distiller will be like, uh, it fucking matters. Um, if you I are think it's new... mostly from, I've gotten it from the wine people that say that. How do... I don't know. I think, I think that they get of defensive. Them of all people should say it matters. Well, yeah, it's been said. Let me just say that. Ew. Yeah. I mean, a whiskey, if you're using, okay, so, you know, if you're using rye grain from New York State, which is now legally called Empire Rye, if it's produced in the Empire State, and you take a rye produced in Indiana, for example, there's a marked difference. Huge. Huge yeah. flavor difference. If you drink a barley, a, a whiskey that is made with barley from Texas, which they are very good at making this very mesquite smoked style, flavor style from barley from Texas versus Westland, Washington State or Oregon State, which is much closer to Scotch whiskey because we can grow peat here very well. Mm -hmm. Our barley is going to taste, it tastes totally different as it should. I mean, the relation from you want to travel by car, you know, from France to Ireland, you're going to travel from Texas to Washington State. Why shouldn't, you know, just because we're called one country, of course, our terroir is very, very different. And it makes a huge difference in our whiskey, in any spirit, for that matter, except for vodka. <laughs> no, no comment. <laughs> Nope. All right. Well, how about that was a great discussion, guys. Again, I love these spontaneous whiskey discussions we get into what we don't really plan on. But uh, that was a good one. It was. But before we get into our main discussion, I really need to take a pee break. It's been a right. long time, you guys. 
since I've had to say we need to take a break before I pee my pants. And I need to refill my glass. Oh, yeah. So what's cool about Total Wine is that they actually give me a $200 a month allowance to taste wine. Jeez, fuck. I know. I'm going to go work for them, too. And I was like, how about spirits? And they're like, well, the only way you can get that for spirits is if you take their TSP exam, which is Total Spirits Professional. It's like 300 questions. And then you get a $1,000 reward if you pass that. And Sweet, you can use that, he'll pass you can it. use that towards spirit. I know, I took... He's like, I don't usually do this with new hires, but I'm going to have you take the sample exams or the sample tests to see if you pass. Because, um, you know, most people they hire have no experience whatsoever. He's like, mm-hmm. you have some experience. So I aced the three that he gave me. So, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, how about like, your percentage on spirits walking out the door? How about just give you that based on that, you know? Yeah, he didn't even give me whiskey. He gave me rum, vodka, and tequila. Duh. Oh, it's Lord. Like, yeah, it was like 90, 90, 95. I'm like, all right. <laughs> I have an idea, Matt. I'll tell you, but I have a retirement idea for us. A retirement idea? I do. Okay. Seriously. I think we should open our own liquor destination in Florida where it's a tasting bar with a liquor store. Let's do it. But like our ultimate fantasy of as a spirits lover what would you want to walk into yeah where you can stay and hang out and you know get knowledge there could be specific tastings brand ambassadors could come in you know um you could you could take classes and learn and blah blah blah, but you can also buy the bottle as well while you know like almost like an education center with an attached hotel so you don't have to Driving right, you just go right upstairs well, we after you're done drinking. Airbnb. Yeah. Uh, partner Airbnbs. Yeah. Sure, but imagine we'd make a fucking if you could sell the package as well. Oh man. Dude, An all inclusive all inclusive spirit weekend. We would yeah. make a fucking killing. Yeah. So if we combine my four oh one K with Robin's four oh one K when we sell 
We sell our house plus his mom's house because we're on our way to Spain for our ultimate retirement. But we can make a fucking killing. And Florida laws are so bullshit. It's so easy. Oh my God. They're the loosest, other than Nevada and Louisiana, they're the loosest laws. Oh, speaking of laws, have you heard Illinois is about to join California and Colorado and Michigan? And Washington State and Massachusetts. Yep, January 1st. Ohio as well. You know who lobbied in Ohio so interesting? Is um, Rheingeist Beer. Have you ever heard of Rheingeist? Rheingeist. It sound it rings a bell, but it has like the little devil head guy kind of. Um, I, yeah. They're the biggest brewery in Ohio. Um, they actually joined the Craft Spirits Guild to help um, spirits fight the laws because they were so it's control state, like the most uh-huh. antiquated ever. Yeah. They they nobody understood why. So they opened a small brewery, satellite brewery in Massachusetts in the Boston area. And when they did it, I was like, that's weird. I wonder if it has anything to do with marijuana. Boom. Mm-hmm. Two years later, they bought up three old factories in Cincinnati, old P&G factories that were just dead depleted. And they're retrofitting them. For what? I wonder. Mm-hmm. This is five years before they lobbied to pass medical marijuana. So they got medical first, but recreational is apparently going to come like six months later in Ohio. So Ohio is joining Illinois. I think it's at the same time it's happening. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we've had a medical for oh, a year or two now, but now we're finally getting the uh, recreational. Well, it definitely increases your tax base, that's for sure. Yep. Oh, and not to mention the the fees they get for starting up a dispensary holy oh yeah smokes. oh my god it's insane they just need to let everybody out of jail that's in jail for a marijuana charge right. <clears throat> are All we right. ready to come back yeah i am ready okay who's we're gonna spec you and we're back thanks for the break guys i needed it desperately well you're welcome no problem so we've talked a little bit about, you know, the whole alt-rock thing, grunge, the 90s, whatever. If you've been listening along, um, you know the bands that we've covered. We've covered Smashing Pumpkins. we covered Nirvana. We replayed our Soundgarden episode. We did Stone Temple Pilots. We did Alice in Chains. So we wanted to kind of sum it up and, and mention briefly some of the other bands that I'm going to say I felt were indicative of the time were starters, almost like, um, what do they call the IT starters? Like, there's a term for it where they, incubators, almost like music incubators from some of the most famous alt-rock bands that came out of the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and apparently you guys have some things to add or some things to argue I have a couple Let's, things to say later on. Yep. I'm sure you will. Let's start with Mud Honey. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Mud Honey. Not to be confused with Mud Vane. De- definitely what? not. What? Oh, God. Ugh, horrible. <laughs> Jeez. All right. I don't know where that came from. Way to get this off on a anyway. bad foot, man. Ugh, I need to clean my mouth. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> All right. So, Mud Honey. Mud Honey was formed in Seattle in 1988 after the band Green River broke up. 
Mudhoney was formed by singer and rhythm guitarist Mark Arm, lead guitarist Steve Turner, bassist Matt Lukin or Luckin, um, later replaced by Guy Madison and drummer Dan Peters. Mudhoney's earliest releases um, on, of course, Sub Pop, which I uh, think we've mentioned probably on every yes. episode of this series. They, they are the they are the incubator. Yes, they are the exactly. Yeah. Um, they were so Mudhoney was a huge, huge, undeniable influence on the Seattle music scene. In particular, their debut single "Touch Me, I'm Sick." and the Super Fuzz Big Muff EP. More than almost any other release of the era, they inspired the dirty, high-distortion sound that would later be, be called grunge or become grunge. Apples and oranges, maybe? Super Fuzz and Big Muff. Is that Was that named after, like, guitar effects pedals or something like that? <laughs> sure. Yeah. It sounds like it. Yeah. Okay. Nah, I don't think so. We'll go with that. <laughs> we'll go with that. <laughs> we'll go with that. But Sailor, of course, later on, uh, they began also mixing in heavy blues rock and punk rock into their sound at various stages of their career. A uh, lot of longevity they had um, compared to some of their contemporaries. They never really gained much commercial success, however. Uh, but as I said, their career was long, and they actually produced nine studio albums. Uh, and if you actually look at many of the bands we've discussed on the show, Mudhoney has actually inspired tons of so-called, you know, quote-unquote grunge and alt-rock musicians. I don't think there's any denying that. Um, yeah. And I, I'd, be, I'd be in full agreement with that. I mean, that's really the reason that I started off with Mudhoney, because, you know, they formed in 88. They were, so, you know, if you're from the Seattle area back in that time, they were the Nirvana before Nirvana was possible. And what I mean by possible was music like that to be mainstream, music like yes. that to be yeah. all over the airwaves. Mud Honey was huge. And if you were into underground music at the time, um, you would have known Mud Honey as well in other parts of the country. As I, I knew of Mud Honey very, very well at the time. Uh, I think it was probably the early 90s I knew of Mud Honey probably even after they broke up um, because I liked underground music and, you know, kind of was in that scene of tape trading and all of that and would listen to, you know, smaller bands if they came close to my area, whatever. So that was kind of my intention that if you, if you don't know Mud Honey, um, we're going to play a song, a, a part of a song from, from Mud Honey. We'll, we'll check them out and listen. I think you'll find you're going to hear a lot of your favorite bands from the 90s in their sound. And it kind of gives you like a window into where a lot of that inspiration came from. So that was kind of my perspective of why I started out with them. So we'll play you a song right now. All right. I kind of kind of see what you're talking about there. I thought you were. Right. <clears throat> yeah. Anyway, the next band in our lineup is called Screaming Trees. Um, now, this band was formed in Ellensburg, Washington in 1985 by vocalist Mark Lanigan, guitarist Gary Lee Connor, bass player Van Connor, and drummer Mark Pickerel. Uh, I wonder if he's any relation to Dave Pickerel. Probably I know. not. I mean, immediately anyway, I thought the same thing. Dave. I'm sure not. <laughs> um, I know. R.I.P. Dave. 
Pickerel had been replaced by Barrett Martin by the time the band reached its most successful period. And, um, of course, they've been widely associated with grunge. um, But I don't know, like these other bands, how accurate it is. But Mm -hmm. the band's sound incorporated hard rock and psychedelic elements. Um, Sounds a lot like Pink Floyd, if you put it that way. Um, But I think we've determined that the term grunge often misses the mark and has become, of course, a very broad term. Um, They did, however, have a major hit. uh, Were included on the singles movie soundtrack, which we have brought up many Many other times. times. Yep, 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 yep. And that hit, you may remember, was called Nearly Lost You. So it's interesting because if you... Listen to the song Neary Lost You. You'll be like, what the fuck? I don't hear any grunge in this. Fair. Absolutely fair. Um, in the 90s, though, when the song came out, you probably would have related it. So they ended up signing with Epic Records. Um, they released Uncle Anesthesia on Epic. It was produced by Chris Cornell, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, interesting this, fact. I've heard that name fact. before. Yes, yeah. indeed. He actually produced several several other songs or records or helped write certain songs or records for a lot of the bands at the time. Um, he was kind of like the go-to session person. That's a terrible term, but I don't know how else to describe it. Um, their single, Bed of Roses, uh, from that album, Uncle Anesthesia, was a minor hit. Minor, that's a term by major labels. It was actually a really big hit. A big um, hit in a small area of the country? Uh, it was, I, I would say it was a, it was a pretty decent hit all over the country. Okay. They don't think it's major because it wasn't like top 10 or some bullshit like that, you know? Um, so throughout the life of this band, they released seven studio albums, five EPs and three compilations. They were not short lived and they're known as one of the pioneers of grunge and is said to be one of the most successful underground music acts of the 1990s and they didn't break up until officially until 2000 um the crossovers with this band are too much to list here unless we were to do a full episode on them i i encourage you to look them up even if you just wikipedia them screaming trees the members of this band from start to finish, you'll be like, oh, they were in pretty much <laughs> pretty much every other <laughs> band at the time has been in this band at one point or another. Um, major, major crossover. So we'll play you a little bit from The Screaming Trees. Awesome song. Awesome song. Uh, but we move on uh, to our next band that we were highlighting, and that is Sonic Youth. And they were based in New York City, uh, finally formed in 1981. Uh, the founding members were Thurston Moore, play guitar, vocals, Kim Gordon, bass, vocals, and guitar, and Lee Ronaldo, uh, also guitar and vocals. Uh, remained together for the entire history of the band while Steve Shelley played drums, uh, followed a series of short-term drummers in 1985. Um, they emerged from the experimental New Wave no art. Wave. And, no Wave. No excuse Wave. Me. No wave yeah. art and music scene in New York before evolving into a much more conventional rock band. Uh, they became one of the most prominent American noise rock groups. Um, and I would say like, as far as for me, as far as sound goes and the manipulation of sound, I think that they were at the forefront, I would say. Uh, uh, they did that, a lot of, they did a lot of, you can't even cookie argue things. that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. They did a lot I of, mean, cookie, I mean, 
You could put Smashing Pumpkins there, but I think that these no guys way. were obviously way before pumpkins way. came to the forefront. Yeah, way before. They're, they're, I mean, you know, noise rock came back in the early 2000s in underground hardcore. You had noise core, you had math core, you know, all those mm-hmm. bands. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, on, uh, there were a lot on conspiracy records. Um, that that all came from Sonic Youth. I mean, for me, you know, I grew up in New York City. I I, I was on the East Coast during this time. And whether you like them or not, they're a huge influence. They're a huge influence on everything. I think, in my opinion, everything that would happen in most genres of rock until the early 2000s, easily. Maybe. Easily. I'm not a fan. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to be a fan, but you can but recognize you can't, their I, influence. No, I, yeah, you can't, you can't really I, argue I, with I don't done. care yeah. for their sound. I, lo- I, I really like them. But. Okay. But regardless of my opinion, they have been <laughs> praised for having uh, redefined what rock guitar could do. So take that as you, you will. Uh, using a wide variety of unorthodox guitar tunings and preparing guitars with objects like drumsticks and screwdrivers, to alter the instrument's timbre. Kind of reminds me of um, Jack White, what Jack White can do with a guitar. How about Jeff Buckley before Jack White? Yeah. But anyway, the band is considered (laughs) to be a pivotal influence on the alternative and indie rock music. Some even say they are the influence for 90s indie rock that took a turn away from grunge. I would agree. And after gaining a large underground following and critical praise through releases with SST Records in the late 80s, they experienced mainstream success throughout the 90s and 2000s after signing with the label DGC in 1990 and headlining the 1995 Lollapalooza Festival. We've discussed DGC a lot also in the series because that was kind of the next step from some from sub pop and some smaller labels and also Lollapalooza was just another super like it was another live music incubator for a lot of these bands um i i just felt like it was you can't discuss 90s music or grunge without mentioning sonic youth whether you like them or not they have some of the bands that you really liked that we've discussed on the show and you're like i'm a big fan if you look at interviews, they'll say Sonic Youth was yeah, one of their I mean, biggest inspirations. And Sonic Youth, even though, again, like, you don't have to make music just like, like oh, my favorite band. doesn't mean you're going to make music like them. But Sonic Youth, most of the bands that we discussed, I did my research and I looked at interviews and I looked at influencers. Almost all of the bands we discussed in this series talked about Sonic Youth being huge influencers yeah. in their music. So we had to put them in here. We had to. Spent, we spent so much time talking about how someone like Billy Corgan spent so much time manipulating his sound and his guitar sound. Yep. Where do you think that came from? Exactly. I mean, they were the predecessors to what he did. Absolutely. Yes. And, and I listened to their whole catalog, and it's there. So Absolutely. whether you like them and or not, you can't it. discount that. Right. Yeah. And he talks about them a lot. You know, they kind of gave permission to be fussy, as some called it, to be fussy musicians. Oh, yeah. Fussy about their sound. Because it's a rock band. You're expected to just go in there and drudge your shit out. You know, 
you know, you're supposed to do it Led Zeppelin style. And, like, the sound is the sound, man. That's not what's <laughs> happening anymore. <laughs> but literally, that's, that is literally a fucking quote from Jimmy Page. I will try and find it for you. He literally said that. Not in relation to any of this, but he literally said the sound is the sound, man. Um, So, okay. In 88, they did a double LP, Daydream Nation, and it was really their first critical success. And that's when Sonic Youth, they they had a claim. In 2005, it was one of the 50 recordings chosen that year by the Library of Congress to be added to the National Recording Registry. The lead single from the album, Teenage Riot, was the first song from the band to reach significant success. They received big-time airplay in modern and college rock stations. And a number of rock magazines, including (sighs) the Rolling Stone, hailed Daydream Nation as one of the best albums of the decade and Sonic Youth as the hot band in its hot issue. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Rolling hate- Stone again. I hate critics, period. I hate music critics. And there are a few awesome music critics that have said they are the most loathsome creatures that have ever existed. And I love those music critics. Because <laughs> they're like, who the fuck am I to tell you about a perspective? <laughs> and like, taste is so subjective you know mm-hmm. you can say like well here's my inf- you know here's my knowledge of music and knowledge of the style and here's my preference but to say like a band sucks or is amazing fuck you well you know unfortunately distribution problems arose and daydream nation was often difficult to find in stores yes it was, yes, it was. uh more actually considered enigma records a cheap jack mafioso outfit. <laughs> and that's a direct and that's a direct quote. Direct quote, actually. yep. <laughs> yes. Uh, but it was. It was. I wanna time. see the, I wanna see that band name, by the way. Do you know Cheap, do you know, cheap Jack Mafioso, mafioso outfit? I love it. Yes. Do you know how many <laughs> bands found out that their records were being sold out of the back door? So that means that you weren't getting royalties on it. You weren't getting paid for your work on it, nor was the label for that matter, right? Mm-hmm. The label found out or the distrib- uh, distributor found out and didn't tell the band even worse, right? But there's so many artists. Joan Jett talked about this. Um, Cindy Lauper has, I mean, we're talking huge artists have had this problem and it's fucking bullshit. Indeed, bullshit. But in 2011, Ronaldo announced that the band was ending for a while, another direct quote, uh, following the separation of married couple Gordon and Moore. So Thurston Moore updated and clarified the position in May 2014, as saying, Sonic Youth is actually on hiatus. The band is a democracy of sorts, and as long as Kim and I are working out our situation, the band can't really function reasonably. Gordon refers several times in her 2015 autobiography, Girl in a Band, to the band having actually split up. Mm-hmm. And not on a say, hiatus. Yeah. I would say that it's much more accurate. Her book is incredible. It's such an incredible view of what it was like to be a female in music. Some of this shit she dealt with would blow your fucking blow your mind. Like you'd be like, no way. Um, yeah, the band split up. We yeah. know it's 2019. <laughs> we know they split up. Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot going on with this band, and um, 
it might we just might have to revisit this one in the future. I have a feeling we will because they have influenced more than just grunge and nineties alt rock. I agree. So we'll leave it and, there. Yeah. But um let's move on to something that I don't agree with. I knew you were gonna say this. I knew and that it. is the <laughs> and that is the inclusion of the forthcoming band in this discussion. But I will proceed. Please do. Radiohead. Yes. Formed in formed in England in nineteen eighty-five. <laughs> the band consists of Thom York. That's I Tom. I won't, I won't Tom. use Tom York. <laughs> Come on now. All right. Um, brothers Johnny Greenwood and Colin Greenwood, Ed O'Brien and Philip Selway. They have worked with producer Nigel Godrich and cover artist Stanley Donwood since 1994. After signing to EMI in 1991, Radiohead released their debut single, Creep, in 1992. It became, as we all know, an absolute crazy worldwide hit. Their popularity and critical standing rose to even greater heights with the release of their second album, The Bends, in 1995. Radiohead's third album, critically acclaimed OK Computer, brought them international fame, noted for its complex production and themes of modern alienation. Many feel it's a landmark record of the 90s and one of the best albums in popular music. So, so my friend, that's why I included this. But I feel like... Radiohead, much like many people, the first thing they think about when they think about grunge music is Nirvana. The first thing, one of the first bands I think about when you talk about alternative rock in the 90s is Radiohead. Radiohead is right there. Um, Exactly. So, okay, I feel like we moved from grunge and alt rock to Britpop. This is not, okay. So, first of all, this is... Hold on. This has nothing to do with Britpop. The band formed in 1985, first of all, and they didn't get a major hit until 1991. So in 1985, they were an actually functioning music group before many of the other bands that we've discussed in this series. They were an alternative sound in the 1990s. So they, and it is a rock sound. They, so there were two routes that happened, and we discussed this in another show talking about the ravers and electronic music, and then there was the metalheads who tended to be more like the grungers and the rockers, right? There were two ways that rock went, and that's why it was so important to include Radiohead in this, is because they leaned more toward the electronic, what was going to be happening in rock music and alternative music. Think about this, 1991. How old were you in 1991, Matt? Why is that of any importance? It's a I think it shape, shapes your viewpoint on this Absolutely. band. Absolutely. Huge. I'll, and I'll explain why. How old were you in 91? I was seven. Okay. I had already graduated high school. Matt had as well. Or Ed had as well. The music you listen to in your formative years is the music that will most likely stick with you for the rest of your life. You'll appreciate other music, but we now know the way the brain works that that's going to be your core music. But being there can give you a very different perspective, okay? I cannot speak to what it was really like to be there for the 60s rock when psychedelic rock and all of that happened like my mother and my father could. They could give me real-world, real-time experiences from having said, this shit was never played on the radio or this stuff was 
super subversive. We had never heard anything like this. We started to hear this, then we heard that. I don't know what that's like, because by the time I started listening to music, that was all already established. So it was already a, a, an acceptable, established thing in my mind and for, my, for me listening, right? That is how you have to approach Radiohead. 1991, grunge music is not even grunge yet if you're not in Seattle. And they have Creep, comes out in 92. Think about all the albums they released in 92. They were ahead of their time in being more electronic-focused in their alternative rock music than the down-tuning of guitars, if that makes sense, right? So they're on the precipice of all of this at the same... So they are they are parallel to all of the bands we've talked about. It's all happening at the same exact time. Mm-hmm. I think you see it as a very different sound, which certainly, sure it is, but it's still an alternative sound back then. For us back then, their sound was very alternative. It was right, not mainstream at are all. Are we... Are we not taking their entire body of work into account? Not just their first album or first two albums or three albums? So we're talking I think about that the band I think that they're going. Yeah. I don't care about their later albums because we're talking about 90s. Because right. then we have to talk about everybody else's albums after the 90s. If you really want to go down that road, we can do that. But I think that's irrelevant to the okay, discussion. Okay, but we, we mentioned OK Computer. And I don't put that into their first couple of albums at all. No, but the reason OK yeah. Computer is mentioned is because it brought them mainstream fame. Everybody sees, you might see Creep. So in 1992, you're too young to understand that even though Creep is a worldwide hit now, it wasn't then, in a way. In a way that it was less popular than Nirvana's hits, if that makes sense. Now it may seem even more popular or more widely accepted, but it wasn't at the time. Does that make sense? So for 1992, this was alternative. This was a very alternative sound. This was a very alternative band. I could see how that that song would fit in. No, but I could see how that song would fit in with what you're talking about. Yes. Right. Yeah. The whole album. Blind Melon, No Rain came out at the same time as that too. That's another... One of the exactly. staples of the alternative rock of the time. Yes. Um, yeah. So not only were they alternative in their sound, which they absolutely, undeniably, undoubtedly were. At the time, there was nothing like them. Very quickly, within two to three years, there was more sounds very similar to them. But they helped. They were even more alternative in how they approached their music and their fans. So they were one of the first pioneers in releasing their music through BitTorrent and saying, we don't need a label, number one. Fuck having a label. We'll release our own goddamn music, and we're going to give it to the people how we want to. So in 2007, customers were able to download their album at their own price, and it charted. They did that before 2007, but the album didn't chart. And I think that had a lot to do with the label strongholds. By 2007, the labels didn't have the stronghold that they, 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 that they used to have. They certainly don't now. Um, they've sold more than 30 million albums, and they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year. 
And I think it's fair. And I think they absolutely deserve that because they pioneered a sound at the time that did not exist. It didn't. I was there. I remember. It was a very new and different sound. And it was considered, especially their subject matter, was considered very subversive at the time. So that is why I felt it very, very important to include them in this summation of our series. And, of course, we also have Temple of the Dog, the 90s rock supergroup that formed in Seattle in 1990. It was conceived by vocalist Chris Cornell of Soundgarden as a tribute to his friend, the the late Andrew Wood, lead singer of the band's Malfunction <laughs> and other other love love function. Important. <laughs> Malfunction. I got it. Yeah, I see <laughs> the lineup included uh, Stone Gossard on rhythm guitar, Jeff Ament on bass guitar, which who both happen to be ex members of Mother Love Bone, uh, Mike McCready of Pearl Jam on lead guitar, and Matt Cameron of Soundgarden and later Pearl Jam on drums. Eddie Vedder even appeared as guest to provide some lead and backing vocals. Super group indeed. Oh yeah. And uh, the band released its only album, of course, the self-titled Temple of the Dog in April 1991 through A&M Records. The album was recorded in actually only 15 days, produced by the band themselves. Hunger Strike became a duet between Cornell and Vetter. Cornell was still figuring out the vocals at practice when Vetter stepped in and filled in the blank, singing in the low parts because he saw it was hard for Cornell. As Cornell actually later described it, he sang half of what that song, not even knowing that I'd wanted the part to be there, and he sang it exactly the way I was thinking about doing it, just instinctively. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> it's fucking I, the amazing. interviews about that from all the guys that were there at that moment were so incredible because they said that Eddie was trying to not kind of assert himself. He was trying very hard not to step on Chris's toes. Mm -hmm. And at one point, Chris had to just say to him, just go for it, man. Just, it's just do what you want to do. And then we'll figure out later, you know, because he saw that because Eddie has said to be throughout his whole career, one of the sweetest dudes ever. And very like, you know, I don't know. So he had to kind of push him like, oh, well, just go for it. <laughs> he said when he went for it, he was like, well, guess that's it. <laughs> I don't think anybody can improve on that. And that's yeah, wow. for real. <laughs> Incredible. Uh, so Hunger Strike actually became Temple of the Dog's breakout single. It was also Eddie Vedder's first featured vocal on an re- actual record on the, the 2011. Yeah. On the 2011 documentary Pearl Jam 20, Vedder actually stated in quote, that was the first time I heard myself on a real record. It could be one of my favorite songs that I've ever been on, or the most meaningful. Isn't that mind blowing? Like he got it's to hear crazy, himself right? yeah. recorded and that produced is. for the first time on that before they finished the Pearl, first Pearl Jam record, and still I... a very popular, still a very popular radio, um, radio. Oh song. yeah, you hear I it mean, all the time. Yeah, fucking phenomenal. Yeah. Absolutely phenomenal. Um. So they received very high praise from music critics at the time of its release, but the album was not widely recognized until 1992 um, when Pearl Jam broke through. 
So um, I find that interesting that they, because I remember seeing it on, I'm sure it was MTV the first time I heard it, and recognizing Eddie Vedder. And when I was researching the story, I was like, well, I wouldn't have known him yet. Like, how does that work? And then that's because it didn't really break out until after Pearl Jam was known. Yeah. Um, And I think it was 92. I think it was. I think it hit much after that. I think it was 93, 94 when it really hit the mainstream from my memory. Um, So they did a tour in 2016 to celebrate the 25th anniversary of that album, which I think was absolutely beautiful. And we're going to play the song off of that album. All right. That gives me the feels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about a band that is responsible for the development of both grunge and sludge metal. I will fight anyone that wants to argue this with me. I will fight you too. You have two oh, people that will fight you. Let's do it. Yes. I will fight I you love on the, this. I love, the, I love this band. Then what are we fighting about? No, I'm You'll not fight fighting with you. Me? I'm oh, fighting with you, me. yes. Oh, I'm not fighting you. Yes, gotcha. yes. so any, anyone that will beside fight you will also have to fight me. Yes, Fuck beside yeah. you. Okay. Yes. Um, so this band that we are talking, well, about to talk about is, was formed in 1983, again in Washington State. They've mostly performed as a trio, as well as a quartet later on with two drummers and bassists in recent years. Um, since 1984, vocalist and guitarist Buzz Osborne and drummer Dale Crover have been their constant members. The band was named after <laughs> supervisor at a local store. <laughs> I love the story. That's awesome. Where Osborne worked as a clerk. Melvin was disliked by other employees, and the band members felt it would be an appropriately ridiculous name. I love this. Okay, so obviously we're talking about the band, the Melvins. If you don't know who the Melvins, I call them the Melvins, but they're actually just Melvins. I don't know. I've always called them the Melvins. If you don't know who Melvins are, go fucking listen to them. We're going to play a clip, but you have to listen to them. If you at all love sludge metal whatever you want to call it dirty rock grunge rock all of that shit the melvins man they were yes. it they were fucking everything yeah and I a, uh, you know yeah i have Go a ahead, confession Ed. to make i have no idea who the melvin who melvins are <laughs> <laughs> go right. listen and I totally be... missed Melvin's. Okay, so so this is great. And in the next couple of weeks, listen to the Melvins whenever you get the chance. And then when you're ready, we're going to talk about it. We'll come back to it on yeah. a future show and tell us what your perception is, especially because you were there for all this stuff. So I'd be really curious to see what you think of that. Yeah, listen to, uh, listen to Houdini. It's the name of that album. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the first one. We're going to yeah, play some Houdini a little right. bit. Not, not yeah. to say that I haven't heard the name before, well, but I've just never name. heard their music that I so, know of. Yeah. Um, Buzz Osborne, to me, is mm. an amazing frontman, and he's one of the few that I feel like, if you if you listen to him sing, I feel like I could pick him up 
out of that band and I can place him into any other number of bands right. and it would work out. It would work out just fine. <laughs> like if I put it like, like I'm, you, all right, you, listeners can kill me if I say this, but I'm going to say it anyway, I could put him in Megadeth and that shit would work. I yes. swear. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And sludge metal and doom metal throughout the late nineties and early two thousands, right? All the doom hardcore, all yes. that doom metal, yeah. all that, like I just meant before the all that shit. Just like I, I would say, you could you could have taken Keith Moon, Robert Plant, Jimmy Page, and put them yeah, in. You an can transplant, of course, yeah. of course, in like all, literally, probably all of the bands of that period, and it would have worked. You're absolutely right about Osborne, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Um, so as we discussed, their career is very long and illustrious. Uh, they have crossovers with pretty much everyone from the Seattle scene, much like literally the everyone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they were signed to Atlantic for a while, but, uh, I just don't think that Atlantic knew what to do with them at the time. No. Um, it's a shame, but they didn't really understand them because they were, you know, they were a burgeoning sound as we have, as we've said, um, and really a damn shame because I think, um, had a major label actually known what to do with them. Uh, music might sound very different. I feel right very strongly about that point. If somebody true. had yeah. understood who the fuck they were, we discussed this a little bit on the Twisted Sister episode. There was one guy from the label that was like, you have got to sign this fucking band. I believe that if someone had known what to do with Melvin's, Music would absolutely sound so different right now. Things would, it would have propelled the change. The change would have happened earlier, which I think would have widened, right? That genre, at least that genre. Well, they they span so many genres. I really would be so curious. What would it think? Oh, can you imagine if they were developed back then? Oh. I mean, that's one of the biggest strikeouts to me huge. as far as huge, huge strikeout. I mean, what a shame. well, yeah, interesting bit of Melvin's trivia here. Um, they opened for Tool in 2002, and even um, there is a picture on the Tool website which depicts the Melvins um, along with words that say, uh, Melvin's say tool sucks spelled out in lunch meat of all things. <laughs> <laughs> the, the photo was taken apparently on tour uh, while they were on tour with tool in Australia. By the way, tool feels like they owe everything to Melvin's as, as they do. Like we just mentioned, um, they were all huge Melvin fans when they were younger. So tool <laughs> was more excited to tour with the Melvin's and the Melvin's. We're excited to, to tour with school, of course. It was one of those like, weird origin story oh, things. Oh, wow. That's yeah. But I don't think, I don't know if the picture is still on their website, but you can Google it. Just Google Melvin Say Tool Sucks. And, and that sucks with an X. And they did take all of their lunch meat, I think, from like two green room meals to spell it out. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> um, but let's stop right here for a minute because... I really think it's fair to do a full episode on Melvin's. And I have a really good buddy, Ryan, who's a mega fan. He's super knowledgeable about the band. Um, he already said he would be a guest. He's hilarious. His story, his own story is incredible. 
Um, he owns one of the most kick-ass bakeries in the Cincinnati, Ohio area. Um, you will be surprised when we dig into Melvin's how many bands of what we now think different genres say that the Melvins inspired them and where you will hear their sounds. So I think that would make for a kick-ass episode. Hell yeah. And now we're going to play my interest. a little hmm. bit of that music. And that's it. But maybe not. Because I believe, gentlemen, both of you or one of you takes issue with the band I left out or that I included. I would say I take, dish, take issue but there is one band um, in particular I remember from the time um, who I guess to me really stood out. And Sailor, I'm surprised being the champion of uh, women in Iraq around these times of the Riot Girl movement and everything, you didn't bring up uh, Veruca Salt. Ooh, you <laughs> put me in a really bad spot there, Ed. Thanks. Oh, not a fan. I gotta say, really. Okay, I was going through um, not at all. Some of the top lists of grunge music from the '90s, just comparing different people's lists, and I saw that that come hum up in in one of the lists in one of somebody's top no, ten. The Riot Girl but, movement. Uh, the Riot Girl movement was born out of the grunge scene because there was really no space for women at the time. And I think our series has been very indicative of that and has illustrated that very well. So we had to spawn our own genre and our own scene at the time. And so you have you have the Riot Girl movement. And we talk about that a lot on Pretty Good for a Girl. We have covered several of the Riot Girl bands already, and we will continue to do so it's really the basis for my wish to create that show. Um, you know, you have Slater Kinney and you have L7 and you have Bikini Kill. You have, you, you have Blondie, you have, you know, the Runaways who are really the, you know, Blondie and the Runaways really sparked that before later you had Bikini Kill and, and Slater Kinney and L7 and all of those bands. Um, I hate to mention Hole, uh, unfortunately, because of the later life of, Courtney, but yeah, they're love, oh, but definitely be in the conversation. They were, they were, they're definitely in the conversation. Um, it, it is sadly very separate. It's very separate. Um, and and that is just really kind of uh, it's a glimpse back into the placement women had in rock and in music at the time. Veruca hmm. Salt to me was just a pop radio band I, I really don't give them a lot of thought really wasn't a fan of them wasn't really interested in them I know they come from the Seattle scene they're all the other bands I mentioned have much more placement to me in music than that band does fair enough and while I I mentioned it I was looking at a bunch of these um top um, grunge songs of the 90s one thing I noticed there was one common thread through all of them that I looked at anyway I mean I didn't look at like at a hundred lists but the few that I did look at they pretty much universally um, chose Smells Like Teen Spirit as their number one song I mean everything beyond that it's a grab bag but they yeah. all recognize Smells Like Teen Spirit as 
the top grunge song from that's the anthem that i think of that yeah, is, i think yeah. that is the anthem of the time period of the sound whether it deserves it i think it's just w- one particle of the sound and the uh atmosphere of the time but i think if you're gonna look back and have to sum it all up sure mm-hmm. i would disagree i think that's i wouldn't agree or disagree Probably, I could say, if someone said that's the song that put grunge on the map, I wouldn't argue against it. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah. I would agree. But I do have a band as well that I think should have been included in this. I think they have a lot of similarities to some of the bands in here as far as longevity goes and um because consistency in their sound um they have probably one of the most controversial band names they've gotten a lot of flack for their band name um and that's butthole surfers oh you know i I kind of had a feeling that's who you're gonna bring up although I there's feel a, like the butthole surfers one. are a yeah. different time I period think for that's me. That's more, yeah. 80s. Me, I was thinking that's to me. That's, that's an earlier '80s punk. That's an Anthrax to me. Butthole surfers and Anthrax and DRI, like right? Uh, DRI, butthole surfers, Anthrax, SOD. They're all in the same group. I for could. Me. I don't put I, them in '90s alt rock at all. But I could agree with you. But their biggest <laughs> hits were in the early to mid '90s. Hits as far as what? As far as radio hit? Okay. Yeah. They were not popular with those of us that bought their albums in the 80s anymore. That's why I'm going to sit. That's why I wouldn't have included them. To me, the butthole surfers belong in the discussion of the 80s, just like all the bands I just mentioned. That's when they became popular for the people that actually were into that kind of music. Their chart hits. Like, what the fuck charted in the 90s? I don't, wouldn't even know what... Maybe 90? 91? Okay, maybe... Not, 1991 is still the 80s, though. In a way. <laughs> well, for that... But that's the weird thing. That's the Unless weird thing. Unless it's all about thrash. Yeah. No, I mean... It, no, you're absolutely right. It, it, yeah. it's, that's where the breakaway started to happen, though. So in one way, it was the end of the 80s. And in some way, it was the beginning of the 90s. It was the ending of that, like, thrash... DIY metal shit. But yeah. it was also the beginning of grunge. Like how, you know, it's going to be a crossover thing, but for me, their butthole surfers is So you're saying they 80s. were past their prime before they yeah. were past their prime before we the time period we're discussing here. Abs- I would think so absolutely. Ed, what do you think? I think they're not they weren't on my radar anymore. Yeah, but if you if you mention that that band um I primarily think of them in the eighties um, as that that was their heyday for yeah. sure. Yeah. And it'd be almost like, you know, talking about Pearl jam being one of the top bands of the early two thousands. It, it's right. just not. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Right. Or saying Metallica because Metallica released that horrific album, St. Anger and what, 2003 or four or something yeah. saying like oh yeah well sure it was a chart topper but who gives a fuck they're not defined by that 
fucking stupid album or that time period. Same with Butthole Servers. To me, they belong with the late 80s. They belong with Dirty Rotten Imbeciles, ZRI, SOD, Anthrax. That's all the stuff that they belong with. And I had their first two albums, and that was in the 80s. So I, I don't think of them as being grunge or alt rock of the 90s at all. I see them as 80s metal. All right, and I have, punk, punk hardcore, yeah. hard rock metal, whatever. And I had one other band written here, and then I kind of crossed it out because I had second thoughts about it. But since you put Radiohead in here, I, I put REM in here too. And then oh. I crossed them out. Yeah, yeah, and then I crossed them out. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with them, but that was a whole different genre. They weren't alt rock. They're pop. They were pop. They've always been popular. That's music. pop rock. I would that's call. not yeah. rock. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's why. And that's why I crossed them out. Yeah. yeah. No, they're of the '90s. Sure, they're yeah, they're yeah. a band of the '90s. But we mm-hmm. could all say also say Right Said Fred is a band of the '90s. I'm too sexy for my body, guy. <laughs> oh <laughs> come on. <laughs> Radio. If you want to go on radio hits of the '90s, uh... it's all the same genre. REM is has nothing to do with alternative. Really, or of rock, really. That's why. That's why I crossed them out. Okay. That's, yeah. 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 I think we agree. Yeah. Unless, I mean, do you feel differently about butthole servers now, or do you still feel the same way? I don't know. I think you you brought up examples of Metallica and and Pearl Jam in the early two thousands. I I would like to think that that they were a little bit more consistent with their sound than those two other bands. Um, but maybe they weren't. I don't know. I think maybe uh, their thought, sound wasn't as. Because uh, I mean, you're, you're talking wanted about as much anymore. Maybe but you're, talking but, about, you're talking about big changes with Pearl Jam, who by the early 2000s were on pop stations, and Metallica, who you know we've covered their change, ad nauseum on the show. You know. Okay, but um, as far as sound goes, I don't think it just goes by that definition. Because if that's the case, then I'm already in my 90s. Because the Stray Cats has been played on on oldies music stations for twenty fucking years. I mean, um, uh, I, I the think Stray the, Cats is not your oldies fifties rock. You know, Excuse the, me. The word I think we're looking for here is relevance. Sure. How relevant were they in the eighties, and how relevant were they in the nineties? But we're talking about nineties alternative rock and grunge. And that—that's my point. I'd say butthole surfers were a hell of a lot more relevant in the eighties than they were in the nineties. That's the fucking. That's why. Yeah. I don't think they have a place on this. And bands that were alternative, you have to realize later they're not alternative anymore. They're not subversive anymore. They're not underground anymore. So, just because later on Pearl Jam is played as elevator music doesn't mean that they weren't alternative at the time. So I think we have to just stick to that nineties. That's the difficult thing about discussing music genres. Cause you go down eight gazillion rabbit holes. Of course. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, so I think us sticking to the early nineties, really, you know, early to mid nineties, what was considered alternative at the time, what would have been considered grunge or subversive or underground-ish at the time, those big bands is kind of where that our circle is, I think. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't consider Butthole Surfers in that at all. Okay, the only reason I brought it up, and other than that, I think that they kept a consistent sound throughout that time, but if you're 
gonna say, despite the difference in sound of Radiohead to OK Computer, which we mentioned here, okay, and we've admitted that it's a different sound, but we mentioned it because it was their breakthrough. It was their biggest hit, their best-selling album. Mm-hmm. Um, they, Butthole Surfers, had their biggest hit in 1996. That's all I'm saying. So if we're using that criteria, I think it could be but they didn't get to their, mention them. But they didn't yeah. get their start in 90s alt-rock. Radiohead did, and that's the difference, is that okay. radio, okay. even though they were a band in 85, they really gained ground in that 90s alt-rock time and 90s mm-hmm. alt-rock sound, if that makes sense. So I yes, bring no, up yeah. OK yeah. Computer only because that is what made them explode, and many people think it's still a landmark record of the 90s, whether I agree with that or not, which I really don't because it's 97 and we're so far away from that 90s alt-rock period. Um, I only bring it up because really that's how it's touted by so many outlets. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I had to bring it up. I don't yeah, agree yeah, with yeah. it, yeah. but they got their... So their basis, their origin... The, and their rise to popularity is inside that wheel of early to mid nineties alt rock. Okay. So butthole surfers, their origin, their it's really more and it, and their sound is still an eighties sound. Okay. A late eighties okay. sound. Yeah. Fair enough. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I don't disagree with you that they were consistent. They surely were. That music was waning though at the time. It wasn't you know, exploding at the time, like these other bands we've discussed. Fair enough. And I was a big fan of the Butthole Servers. Mm-hmm. Big fan. All those guys. <laughs> well, all right. That was fun. That was fun. That's fun. the end of the series. That puts a nice little bow on that, uh, that series. This was a fun series. I really, I learned a lot. And I gained a lot more appreciation even though I was there and liked this music, I think I forgot that I liked it. <laughs> I think I've kind of looked back at it, kind of poo-pooing it. Yeah, I think for my takeaway from this is I rediscovered how much I really like Alice in Chains and Stone Temple Pilots in particular. Same, same, same. All these same. bands. Yeah. yeah. Same. Yep. Learned a lot. Yep. Well, listeners, thank you for sticking around. We hope you enjoyed that discussion as much as we did, as much as we always do. And as always, you can find us on Instagram and the Twitter at Metal Rock Whiskey. And we also have a super cool Facebook group. Super cool. Super cool. (laughs) (laughs) Under our name, Metal Rock Whiskey. Uh, Spirit, I'm sorry. Spirit, I'm going to get this one of these weeks, I swear. (laughs) Spirit of Rock podcast network yeah on facebook yes (laughs) which encompasses all of our shows all the shows and there's a particularly amazing meme posted in the past week of james hetfield and the lion (laughs) from wizard of oz (laughs) and apparently people keep doing side-by-sides of it and tweeting it to him and so he finally responded this is real. Stop sending me this shit. And I'm sure he did it in jest, you know, 
Um, and all I could hear in my head was, so I'm a big fan of the Wizard of Oz. The lion happens to be my favorite character. And I always run around the house going, and a wolf, and a wolf, and a royal howl. He's my favorite. So all I could hear was that from James Hetfield. <laughs> because the side-by-side picture. And a wolf. Exactly. <laughs> I don't even think you would have to do that anymore. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Like, remember the scene where they go to Oz and they get they go in the spa and get their makeovers? Do you remember that? Yeah. A brush brush here, a brush brush there. Remember that? They get, like, manicures and manicures. And the lion's so excited to be getting his mani-pedi. And he gets his little curls and a bow. <laughs> <laughs> now it's going to be James Hetfield forever. <laughs> Forever, I'm gonna see James' face. No, it's ruined forever. I don't for know you. if it's ruined or if it's gonna be even. It's more funny. Ruined. I don't know. But now, yeah. when you see the Wizard of Oz and you see the Lion, you're gonna think of that too. <laughs> That's the best ever. Whoever started that shit, hats off to you, motherfucker. Hats off to you. <laughs> Pour one out for you. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah, so you can also follow us individually on Instagram, or individually anywhere. Uh, you can find me at the Whiskey Obsessor. That is whiskey. Still saving that E on a daily basis. Because Jenny took it from you. Yeah. <laughs> she's, right. she's, got, she's got it. <laughs> you can find me a Sailor Retro all over the internet and metal rock and whiskey is on twitter so if you're the tweeting type you can tweet us there and spirit of rock also has an instagram page as well and if you're looking for me you'll most likely find me hanging out on instagram at bourbon geek and don't forget that we have many new shows that are coming out this month on the Spirit of Rock Network. One of those shows is from our very own Matt and Jenny oh, wrestling yeah. with respect. This Ooh. week, you probably already listened to it actually, right? Yes, yes, yes. Listen to it. Was, it out yesterday. Yesterday. yesterday awesome. Yeah. It should be in your queue. You should have listened to it. I love it. I know shit about wrestling, by the way. So when Matt pitched this show to me, I was like, wait, what? And then when they explained, I was like, oh, that sounds really cool. So, you guys, I want to come on your show, and I want to be the dummy that has to be schooled on professional wrestling. We should do that. That would be a lot of fun. Do it. And this show has, it's in the weeks that we've planned it, in the weeks we've recorded promos, um, the business has changed in the weeks that we've done this. So mm-hmm. it has created it has created more material for us. It has created awesome. real real time issues to talk about, and not just uh, chronicling the women that we wanted to talk about. But things are happening right now as we speak in this, in this business that uh, need to be addressed on a show like ours. So tune in. That's yes. crazy. I'm right. I'm like. Yeah. I'm so excited to try and keep up and understand what the fuck is going on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And hey, stuff. Uh, listeners, if you love us or even if you just like us, please <laughs> hit that <laughs> subscribe okay. button. 
Give us a review. It really does matter. And when I say that, I am dead serious. I know we have a Patreon and everything else. And if you can't subscribe or give us anything on a Patreon, that's fine. We understand. But subscribing is free. All you have to do is hit that button, and it really does help us out. It helps us out, you know, as as almost like you're giving us a donation because Absolutely. that helps us with our metrics, helps us with sponsors and all that. It's really important. So if you can just do that real quick, we would really, really appreciate it. Um, and, of course, tune in next week where hopefully we'll be back. <laughs> With another Hopefully. episode of Metal Rock and Whiskey. Oh, we'll be back. <laughs> Are we what still I, going week to week? No, uh, no, we'll be we'll be here. Fuck you, Lars. Later, and this everyone. podcast is edited by Ed Dirsch, produced by me, Sila Retro, with research by Matt LaRusso. Say that one more time. I spoke over it. This podcast is edited by Ed Dirsch, produced by me, Sila Retro, with research by Matt LaRusso. All right, cool. Nice show. How long?